everybody. This is the Department of Building Inspections Brown Bag Lunch Series. I'm Lawrence Cornfield, Chief Building Inspector, and we are walking around looking at trees on the hottest day of the year in San Francisco. This is also bike to work day, so we'll probably see bicycles coming and going. And this will be a hot day to take a long bike ride in San Francisco Hills. We're joined today with Carla Short, who's the city urban forester, is mm -hmm. that right? With That's the right. Department of Public Works, Bureau of Urban Forestry. Mm -hmm. Got that right. Carla is going to look at trees with us and talk about tree issues, and we invite your questions. She knows all about trees. This will be really terrific. So we have a whole pile of trees ready to get put in the ground. What, what kind of trees are these, Carla? These are Victorian box trees, Pittosporum undulatum okay. is the Latin name. And what size are these boxes? This is a 24-inch box, which is the new standard for any time the city plants a tree, we do at least 24-inch box or larger, unless the site is so constrained that we have to go smaller. Um, we used to plant 15-gallon trees, and we just realized getting a little bit bigger start um, that still fits in your typical sidewalk basin increases the survival rate of the trees. So this is our new standard. So when these get put in the ground, usually it seems to take a little while till they adapt to the location and begin to actually grow and you know become adjusted. How long does that usually take? A couple of seasons? It or? does. Yeah, we normally will water a tree throughout the dry season. Um, which we estimate is about nine months of the year. But if it's raining and it hasn't rained for a whole week, we have to go water that tree. And usually the first three years are enough to get it established. Once it's established and adapted to the surrounding area, then uh, that tree doesn't need water. It can survive on the seasonal water that we get and groundwater. Although very hot days like this are so unusual in San Francisco, we're going to be trying to kind of give our younger trees an extra dose of water. And there's this particular problem with trees that are in boxes or in planters or are not planted in the ground. And that's that they have a lot of area for evaporation and they dry out a lot faster, right? That's right. So trees like this that are sitting in boxes on the sidewalk need a lot of care and a lot of water. That's right. That's like, right. And we would, we would water these extra, so probably several times a week rather than just once a week while we're waiting. And one of the reasons that we always try to get trees planted in the ground even though it's in the sidewalk rather than in raised planters, which a lot of people wonder about, is because you've only got to water for a few seasons. Whereas if it's in a, in a planter box, you're going to be watering that tree for the rest of its life. Right. And, and, and you see that watering. around the city. You see people with planter boxes in front of their buildings and on the street, and you will often see dead plants in those planter boxes, and that is because they dry out so fast. Let's look at this. It says Pittosporum undulatum. Yep. So what does uh, undulatum mean? Uh, undulating. Undulating. Waving okay, so if we look at a leaf, you will see that the edge of the leaf is undulating. Waving. Right? Wavy. Yes. What else do they have to tell us here? What can they tell us here, Carla? Uh, let's see. Just form is... undulatum, form. Okay, form is S, so that's a good thing we can note. That's what we call standard standard form which when you're talking about a tree it means it looks like a tree it has one trunk if you have uh, the other forms you might have are multi-stemmed or multi-trunk or natural form so for street trees it's really usually very important for us to have that standard form because we need to get clearances for pedestrian access and vehicular access so we have pittosporum undulatum form is this s okay mm -hmm. quantity 50 well hmm i guess there are 50 of them okay what does this mean? LM, any I, idea? I think that probably actually means landscape maintenance. It's probably an internal code for the nursery. So those tags are put on at the nursery, and when, when we go to buy a, a, um, 
a tree, we will sometimes tag them with notes for ourselves so that when we get the trees delivered to our job site or to the yard, we know what they're, which project they're for. Okay, and the nursery would have said something about the fertilization history That's of That's right, and they do seem to have that on there. So we generally we try to get trees established into their natural environment. So once we get them from the nursery, we will occasionally do some soil amendments when they get planted in the ground, but our general policy is we want to let those trees start to naturalize. So that means they got to adapt to that native soil. So we don't do a lot of fertilizing of trees unless they're kind of in dire straits. They need a boost of something, or if there's really bad soil conditions, then we might amend the soil. Um, do people need to fertilize their trees when they're uh, typically, planted? Typically they don't. What people can do if you're planting in your own yard is they have some products that are um, root stimulators. There's some symbiotic relationships with fungi that will um, help your roots adapt. Um, and you can get those. That's like a mycorrhizal fungi that can go on. You can you scatter it around the roots and water it in, and it just helps those roots sort of develop and get adapted. But Generally, most trees don't need a lot of fertilization. Now, if your soil conditions are very bad, you might consider either amending the soil. I always like to do organic amendments, so you mix in compost and, um, and better soil into the area that you're planting. What nursery do we actually work with a variety of nurseries in the area. Um, so there's not just one that we'll source. It depends on species. We have some nurseries where we get a lot of the same type of species that we can count on them for. And then sometimes we have to go a little further afield. Um, there are a few nurseries that are, um, they're, they're not based in the city. Um, they're based usually in the nearby areas where there's more land. Um, and they have to be a city approved vendor. So we're restricted by, by who's, a lot of times it's just having to do that paperwork to become city approved. Everybody else could qualify, they just haven't done that. Um, but there are some good nurseries in the area um, that will order trees for you, um, even Sloat Nursery, um, Flowercraft over on Bayshore, Pacific Nursery. Those are all pretty close by and they're very happy to order trees for homeowners if there's a specific tree they don't have that you're interested in. Um, let's look more closely at these little guys here. Okay, so here's our Pittosporum Mundulatum. 24-inch box, and it's packed very neatly. Look how nice it is. It's banded, and it has a little piece of carpet here to protect the uh, the bark and the trunk where it's hitting the wood, so it doesn't rub the rub the wood. Okay, and now it has a couple of ties. Yes, and this is what's this is actually a good thing to point out. This is what's called the nursery stake, and most young trees will come with a nursery stake, and that's to help it grow upright while it's young but you don't want to leave it on the tree once it's planted in the ground. So if you take a look here, what we've done is we've put in three stakes around the, the root area of the tree. And you, don't, you want to make sure your stakes don't go into the roots because that can damage the roots. So you put it around the root area of the tree. And we usually do two stakes on the curbside because that's where car doors are going to try to ruin our little, our little tree. And the nursery stake is taken off, but it's attached to these outer stakes with ties. And what that does is it allows the tree to move a little bit in the wind, which helps it set its roots. And, and that movement and setting those roots actually helps build the caliper of the trunk. So if you've got a nursery stake on there, you're going to end up having an area where that trunk isn't developing as well, because that nursery stake is keeping the, this tree too rigid, and it's also blocking the growth on that side of the tree. This is a, a bronze loquat tree, Areobatria deflexa. Um, and uh, you can see it has on this one maybe uh, the new growth on this tree comes out very bronze. I don't know if you can see on the top there. 
Um, there's also, it's a non-fruiting, more ornamental. It does fruit a little bit, but it tends to hold the fruit variety of the loquat that everybody's probably used to seeing and does have brighter green leaves, but does fruit. I have two of them in my yard. Do your fruit? You have little... They fruit. Uh, they're delicious. Yeah, they're small, orangish, very sour fruits. I make chutney and give it away, and my neighbors eat them. Excellent. They like them Excellent. just as fruit. And these will fruit a little bit sometimes, but they usually don't develop, and with a lot of ornamental varieties that have been developed, they, if they fruit at all, it's usually stunted. Um, and generally, we try not to have too many big fruits in the sidewalk because that can become a tripping hazard when they fall. So we try to prefer non-fruiting varieties. So let's look just a little bit further at our, our little 24 inch box pittosporum undulatum here. Okay, so we've got it tied to the nursery stake. That's right. And we go up and it's been, it's really quite a specimen of a, this uh, is a nice one. It's yeah. a beautiful tree. <laughs> and it has a nice strong leader up there. Yes. What, what can you say about the fact when you, when you see a tree, you want it to be in the form that it's going to properly grow. That's that right. That's right. And ideally, we like trees that have a strong central leader. And what that does is um, that is going to suppress um, weak attached branches. So when you have a strong central leader, you've got good form, upright, and uh, it tends to have the strongest possible branch unions. Now, what happens, and we see this a lot, is a tree with a strong central leader will be topped and what that means is the top, literally the top of the tree is cut. Somebody might come along and prune the top off. That's right. And that's Big problem. Sometimes for a view, sometimes it's just they don't know how to prune a tree properly and they do the wrong thing, but it causes huge problems for the tree. Essentially all of the what's the apical dominance, which allows that strong central leader to be the main... Ape, apical, apex, apical, yes. top, apex, okay. Um, that is what suppresses all those other buds. So when that is cut, that apical dominance is lost. And you'll, you'll see, and you can look around, because unfortunately we have a lot of top trees in the city, so we have a lot of great views, and, and they often go hand in hand. You'll see a lot of flush of new growth. After that tree's been cut, shortly thereafter, all kinds of little... What's happening is the tree is responding to stress. And the stress is that it lost its top, and it usually lost a lot of leaf area. And so it's trying to get as much leaf area as possible in the shortest time possible because the leaves are what generate the nutrients for the trees. One of the questions that we are always asked is who owns trees and who's responsible for trees? And here we are on Otis Street at the corner of Brady, and there's this long line of trees here. And I sometimes look out my window because my office is across the street, and I see a city truck parked here, and the city's doing work. Okay. Are these city trees? These are city trees. Okay. How do we know? Okay. So uh, you know because basically you ask. There's not an obvious way to know who's responsible for the trees. Um, there are some general rules and guidelines, which are that the city takes care of many of the trees on the big thoroughfares. Um, that's generally the ones that we're responsible for. So Market Street, Mission Street, Otis is kind of part of Mission, so we take care of Otis. Um, we do, you know, Sunset Boulevard, um, Hyde, where there's a lot of trees along the um, trolley line. 
So generally, commercial corridors, high pedestrian traffic areas, the city has maintenance responsibility for the tree. But I'm going to take a second to distinguish between ownership and maintenance, because any tree that's planted in the public right-of-way or in the sidewalk technically is the city's tree in the sense that the city has jurisdiction over it. So it, there are standards, and we had a question earlier about whether someone is allowed to top a tree. Even if you have maintenance responsibility for a tree, it's under our jurisdiction and you cannot prune it in, in a way that will cause it damage. So the city has pruning standards. We have some good uh, information that we can give to property owners, and we've done some outreach that talks about appropriate pruning of trees. But any tree in the public right-of-way is underneath the city's jurisdiction. And we have an ordinance, the Urban Forestry Ordinance, which is a part of the Public Works Code. It's Article 16, and it governs tree care and maintenance in the city's rights of way. So even if they're privately owned, these are standards that the private owner needs to meet to maintain the trees? That's right. So they're okay. privately maintained right. by a property owner, but they're still technically not that, that person's. They don't own the tree because it's mm -hmm. under the jurisdiction of the city. Okay, but they're responsible. But they're so responsible they're, for maintenance, but they okay. have to maintain them to our standards. The city gets a pretty good deal out of that, right? The city we, does get a good deal out of it, although we also see a lot of bad tree care, and, and uh -huh. it is often out of ignorance and not out of ill intent. And that's a real challenge for us because the ordinance says you can't deliberately destroy a tree, but it also says you can't do it through willful neglect. And what we consider willful neglect is a property owner who doesn't take the time to learn what's appropriate when they're taking care of a tree. The, the ordinance requires routine and sometimes major maintenance on a tree, and the property owner has that responsibility in about two-thirds of all the cases. So the city currently maintains about one-third of all the street trees, and in all those other cases, the adjacent property owner has that maintenance responsibility. And as we walk up Brady, we'll look at all these trees and see if we can distinguish between what might be city-owned or city-maintained or privately-owned or privately-maintained trees. So let's talk about these trees right here, yep. Carla. They run all the way down Otis. What kind of trees are these? These are ficus trees, and they are one of the most common trees that you have in the city of San Francisco. And they are a great urban tree because they're, they're very tough. Um, we say that it's hard to kill a ficus tree. Um, but unfortunately, they, they also have a very dense canopy, which can be a challenge in an urban environment. You can see um, here how the tree looks like it's kind of halfway gone on this side. It would be hitting that building otherwise. So we have to prune the tree away from the building. It gets so big that it's just constantly on, on top of the building. And in this case, we have a fairly narrow sidewalk. Properties built right out to the property line. So there's, there's not a lot of room for a tree to really develop a big canopy. So we get a lot of requests for people. They want these trees pruned, thinned, pruned up. And we have to, you know, try to meet the needs of the property owner and also do the best care that we can for a tree. You know, I had, a, I had hearings this morning for code violations in the building department. And one of the cases was somebody's building that had been damaged by a tree that was growing up next to it. And the tree was banging into it and had grown through it and knocked some windows out and all that. And we actually occasionally see tree damage to buildings in the city. That's maybe, right. Maybe commonly, not commonly, but often. Not commonly, yeah. but there are a number of tree species that generally we don't recommend as street trees anymore because they, in some cases, have very aggressive root systems. So way out in the avenues, for example, you, you can find Monterey pines and Monterey cypress trees planted as street trees. And those trees, when they're 65 years old, 
are massive, and they have right. massive root systems, and they will go damage the foundation of a building. Okay, that's really great. Okay, Monterey pine and Monterey cypress. Look around you here. Look at the plants you see. How many of these are native San Franciscan plants that we see here? How about none? How about none? Okay, none. Very few street trees, in fact, very few ornamental plants at all in San Francisco are native. There are some. And Monterey pine and Monterey cypress happen to be two of the few native trees. They don't make good street trees, no. but they are uh, native to this area. And so there's a funny story about uh, Monterey pine. It was in the early settlement days of California, Monterey pine, people tried to use it as a lumber tree, as a dimension stock tree, to mill it down and make wood out of it. And it was really not very successful for a number of reasons. I, I think it's, uh, it's got a lot of checks and splits and it has a lot of other problems. Yeah. So instead, we began to import trees. And in fact, the biggest imported tree we have was eucalyptus. Yep. And we have many, many thousands of eucalyptus, eucalypti, growing in San Francisco. That's right. Um, but it turned out that eucalyptus also was not a very useful tree for dimension stock, that is sawn lumber, for building with, because it warps and checks and splits and cracks. And um, so, and it's run wild, and now we now have eucalyptus everywhere, mostly globulus, right? The, yeah. the what is that, red flowering gum? Is that what that's usually uh, called? No, or blue flowering blue gum. Flowering yeah. gum. Um, and so, but the, okay, so the real irony of all this is, I was in Tasmania, an island off part of Australia, an island state to the southeast of Australia, and Monterey pine is their number one softwood timber tree. They imported it to use as softwood timber, and we took the eucalyptus from Australia and brought it here to no avail. That's now funny. Monterey pines what they grow. That Other than that, they have only hardwoods in, uh, in Tasmania. Okay, so as we look at this row of uh, ficus trees, you will see that the trees are in new tree basins or tree wells on the street. And this was just done a couple of months ago because yep. the trees had um, damaged the sidewalk and they came through and they cut the sidewalk out and repaved the sidewalk. Yep. And did a terrific job. And here, this is a newly constructed tree basin within okay. the last month or so. Yep. Right, newly poured sidewalk. What can you tell us about this? Well, um, as we said earlier, ficus is a very hardy uh, urban tree, but it does have aggressive roots. And unfortunately, one of the things that trees do when their roots grow is they can sometimes start to damage the sidewalk infrastructure. So uh, the good news is that with a ficus tree, we can often repair the sidewalk around it. It doesn't mean we necessarily have to remove the tree. But there are cases where if a tree has done really significant sidewalk damage and the roots are just everywhere, the number of roots that we'd have to cut or shave in order to make a safe sidewalk would render the tree un unstable. In this case, we were able to keep the tree. It's a nice upright ficus tree. Um, we didn't have to cut too many roots. We actually, you can see, we expanded the basin a little bit. So we still keep our necessary path of travel for pedestrians, but if we can ever open this up so that we don't have to cut a big root, we always try to do that. We always try to preserve as many roots intact as we can. So the path of travel, the city has a minimum path of travel standard. I believe it's 48 inches. It is, is that right? 48 okay. inches, yep. And uh, we've easily maintained that. We see cases where trees encroach on that or where yep. there are tripping hazards. That's right. And so we, we never want to uh, go less than that 48 inches in our path of travel. Now, Ideally, we always have more than that, but if it's a choice between keeping a tree or losing a tree, then of course we're going we're gonna to shrink down to whatever we need to right. as long as we maintain that 48 inches.
Okay, let's move around the corner to Brady Alley and see if we can get in the shade over here. Ah, and here we have one of those eucalyptus trees. Yes. What kind of eucalyptus is this? This is the what they call the dollar eucalyptus. Polyanthemos. Polyanthemos. I remember okay. that from my tree classes. Okay. Lawrence actually knows as much about trees as I do. He's just in the wrong department. We're going to recruit him. To so, so what they call silver dollar silver gum, right? Dollar because gum. the leaves are the shape and size of silver dollars. They're That's round right. and, okay? Yep. Silver dollar gum. So um, this is another eucalyptus that we see fairly often in San Francisco, although um, not a tree that we currently recommend as a street tree. But we'll never, we'll never take out a tree because it's the wrong species. It ha there has to be some reason to remove it. How about so, this giant lean? Is that a reason to be concerned about it? It's this? a reason to be concerned. It's not yet a reason to remove it. Um, this giant lean, if, if we were seeing this sidewalk coming up on this side again, then we'd be a little concerned that the lean is increasing and it's, and it's lifting the sidewalk. And at that point, we might say, it's not really safe. You can't repair the sidewalk on this side. The tree's going to have to come out. Luckily, the lean of the tree is not in the path of travel for pedestrians, and it's not over the street. So it's, it's not a huge problem in terms of the access that we need, and that's, that would be another reason why a tree might have to come out. If we have this level of lean right over the street, we wouldn't have access for vehicles, and it, and it might have to be removed for that reason. Um, but part of the challenge with this is uh, young tree care can make all the difference, and um, this is a little guide that we can give you, and you can also pick up at planning that talks about how to prune a young tree. Pruning that you can do in those first five years, five to seven years of a tree's life can set it up to be a great street tree. And basically what you want to do is you want to train it, you want to make sure it's well staked, make sure it's upright. So if we look at this next tree, this is a beautifully upright, perfectly proportioned tree, it isn't, is. isn't it's, it? It's, it's gorgeous. This is a tree that I will send people to whenever they want to know what a Tristania conferta, which is the Brisbane box. We plant a lot of trees from Australia and New Zealand. Brisbane box is the common name. And the reason for that is their climate is well adapted, uh, similar enough to San Francisco's, that they, they have trees that will do well in our climate. And it's actually a bigger challenge than people realize to plant in many parts of San Francisco. The microclimates can make, we have a lot of really windy areas, we have a lot of really foggy areas, and Part of the reason we don't have a lot of native trees is because there weren't a lot of native trees in those climates. They tend to be shrubbier, lower to the ground, a little branchier, and so they don't make good street trees. So one of the things that I think personally makes a good street tree is a tall tree that hasn't been topped or packed back to get under wires or something. And one of the reasons this is such a lovely tree is it's allowed to achieve its actual form. And a lot of times you see these little lollipop trees yeah. or trees that are packed back to get under wires. On this particular street, we don't have overhead wires, so we can release the trees and they can develop more naturally. Yeah. This is also a great street tree. It's kind of our, our new ficus tree in the sense that it's a hardy urban tree, but it doesn't have, it doesn't create some of the problems that the ficus does. So the canopy is less round. It's a little more um, columnar, sort of triangular, usually at maturity. Um, and it, it gets good sized, but it is less prone. It will do some sidewalk damage or infrastructure damage sometimes, but the roots are not as aggressive as those ficus roots. But it's another tree that we love in urban conditions because it is very resilient. Now, if name again? Brisbane box. If we look across the street, 
you see a new-ish building over there, right across the street. And you see street trees along the face of this new building. Part of the city requirements is when you do a new building, you are required to plant street trees, unless you get an exception because there are uh, problems with the uh, utilities underground or driveway interference or something. Right. So here's a case where there was a brand new building and they were required to plant street trees. And I think the rule is one tree for every 25 linear feet of curb face. 20 feet. 20 feet of curb face. Yep. Okay. Yep. And uh, what do they plant over here? These look like myoperum. Um, have to get a little closer, but I'm okay. pretty sure that's what they are. Right. Um, and they not only have to plant them, they have to maintain them, too. That's right. In some cases, years ago, the code said, shall plant, and they'd plant them, and then we'd leave and they'd take them out. That's not, that's been since corrected in the code, yes, fortunately. Yes, luckily. Right. But it can be a little challenging because uh, we will have a developer who builds a building and then sells it, and the property owners don't realize that the city doesn't maintain those trees, that they have the maintenance responsibility. So it's not uncommon for us to come across newly planted trees that are perfectly staked and completely dead because as soon as the building changed hands, they didn't realize they had to do anything. Okay, now look at this thing, and look at this damage to the bark here caused probably by somebody running into it with a car or a truck or something. That's right. Yeah, I imagine, given that we're right next to a driveway and a garage, this was probably a bad backing up attempt or um, something, unfortunately, like that. And it really does damage the tree, and ultimately it will compartmentalize the damage and it, you know, it won't, this is not going to kill the tree. The tree has other problems. That's right. Tell this us about kill, this kind of tree here. This won't, this won't kill the tree, but there are a number of things that probably will. And actually, I don't know if we can look at, at the street side of the tree, Ah, okay. Um, but we've got a whole lot going on Let's here. Let's take a look um, out on the street side here. This tree has been repeatedly damaged in the trunk here at the base of the trunk. And um, what you can see is that doesn't really look like real live wood and that's because it's not it's it's dead wood that's grown that the tree's grown around because it wasn't able to fully um, heal from these wounds the other thing that we're seeing is i don't know if you can see but it looks like the tree is almost flat um, when you look at the sides here instead of growing like this where you have a, a broader base this has been flattened and so it hasn't been producing any healthy wood on this side of the tree for quite some time, and that is a real structural problem. Um, what it means is that the tree is uh, has dead wood there, and it's not producing live wood, and so it is potentially, that's a really high breaking point um, where the tree would have potential for failure. And in addition, this poor tree has had a lot of problems over the years. It looks like there was probably a low branch here that got maybe pruned off, but then there's another branch right here that probably got ripped off. And what you can see is the tree has a much easier time trying to form wound wood, which is how it compartmentalizes the wound. And essentially, it's like forming a scab. Um, when it can't do that, when there's sh like shredded pieces where a limb gets ripped off, for example, the tree can't really form that nice little scab around it because there's too many jagged edges. And it's just like human beings, you can imagine, you know, a really gnarly scrape 
is going to be a lot harder to, to heal over and scab up than uh, uh, just a little small. So, Carla, tell us what kind of tree this is. So this is a Lagenaria Pattersonii. Common name, I think, is the cow itch tree. Um, it has a little seed pod that um, it's not in fruit right now that apparently itch irritates the skin, so it gets itchy. Right. So, um, you know what I want to do before we move up the street? There's yeah. something here we have to go across the street and look at. Yeah. Poor fella. Yeah. So what What happened? What happened here? Well, um, these trees were obviously cut down, and we hope that they got a permit to do so. This is the permit application for anyone who wants to remove a tree in the public right-of-way. It's also the same application you would use if you want to remove a tree that's on private property, but within 10 feet of the public right-of-way. The ordinance has recently been revised to include the same protections for what are called significant trees. And those are trees located on someone's private property, but that happen to be within 10 feet of the public right-of-way and also meet a certain size requirement. So it's, it's not just anything. It needs to have a diameter of the trunk which is me measured at four and a half feet above grade, needs to be greater than 12 inches. Um, the canopy width of the tree ne needs to be greater than 15 feet, or the height of the tree would need to be greater than 20 feet. And, and if, if that's the case, these would be significant trees, even if they were 10 feet back from the public right-of-way. And the public right-of-way here, folks, is probably that edge of the sidewalk over right. there where it joins the building. In that's most the edge of the public right-of-way. places in San Francisco, it's pretty easy to tell where the public right-of-way ends because people build out to the lot lines. Right. But there are areas, actually, and there are some areas in the city where people, it looks like it's private property and it's a setback, but it's actually part of the public right-of-way. Now, this tree would have had to have a permit to be removed, and that permit would have had to been posted here for how long? It's typically 30 days, public notification. It goes on the tree. Anyone who wants to protest that removal if they send a letter within those 30 days, it has to go to a public hearing. So it goes to a public hearing at the Department of Public Works. That's right. And the hearing officer makes a decision, and the director of public works issues an order to remove. And that decision and the order are both appealable to the Board of Appeals. And I go to the Board of Appeals, and I see Carla there yep. every couple of weeks. Every once in a while. And um, people often appeal tree permits. And anytime you need a permit, to replace a tree, to remove a tree, anytime you need a permit, those are appealable. And it turns out that trees, like fences, are some of the most contentious issues that come up to the Board of Appeals. And they are there uh, every, every three, three or four weeks. We yep. see a, a big tree case. I don't want them to remove those trees. I don't want palm trees on my street. I want them to put in a six-foot box, whatever. They're, yep. Everybody very strongly felt about trees, I think, and it happens constantly. It really brings out people's passions, which uh, as an urban forester, I am, I am always gratified to see. When you are passionate are yourself, to save I know. those trees. Okay. Um, but there are also oftentimes conflicts between trees and properties, and developing a property, putting in a garage. If you happen to have a tree in front of your house and you want to build a garage, you have to get a permit to take it out, and we may not grant it automatically. So it's a, it's a process that can be a challenge for property owners So we now well, will not issue a permit to put in a garage or a curb cut that requires the removal of the tree until we get the tree removal permit first yeah. so that there's not a fait accompli. Oh, I've already got my garage built, and, you know, you can't let this little tree stand in my way. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. But that used to happen a lot. Used to happen, <laughs> I'm sorry to say. We <laughs> solved it. The We're trees way on were, top of this. everybody forgot about us, yeah. and then uh, the garage would be there, and people say, you can't tell me I can't use my garage. And then there are the little streets, Havens and McCondry, and that, 
Who's responsible for not only the trees, but the gardens and the everything else there? Right. So in most of those cases, it's actually the adjacent property owners who are responsible. So even though those, when those streets dead end, and there, we have a lot of those in San Francisco, they're called unaccepted streets. Yes. It's too steep to build there. The street couldn't go through. Um, the property owners, it's public right-of-way. It's still, it's still where the street would have been, but the adjacent property owners have to take care of that area. So in some cases, they've made beautiful gardens, and in some cases, they just do the minimum um, routine maintenance, and in some cases, they don't know they're responsible, and it, it can get neglected. And it's trees and gardens. Trees and landscape. Um, the way the ordinance phrases it is you have to maintain it in a, you know, good condition. It's a little bit vague, but essentially, as long as it's not a blighted area, you know, it doesn't have to be a manicured lawn, um, but we, we don't want it to be just overgrown weeds. And in fact, you know, there are some recent amendments to the building code and other codes that say you can't pave over some of the required landscape areas in the front setback, particularly. Planning says in your front setback area, you have to maintain a certain portion of that as landscape area. And people have been paving that over the years for more parking. And we are starting to tighten up on that in the, in the city as well. Okay, let's walk on up the street here. Okay, we're going to stop up here and look at this. Look at this cute little thing. What, is, what kind of tree is this? Um, what is that we're looking at here, Carla? That is the, the fruit of the Arbutus unito tree, which is also called a strawberry tree. So here you can see the fruit, and it actually looks like a little strawberry. And they are, they are edible, but they don't really taste like strawberries. They don't really taste like much at all, actually. There's a difference between edible and good, That's right. right. Okay. That's right. It does right. not taste like a strawberry, but it does look like a strawberry. This Arbutus is actually a really uh, a great street tree. They don't get huge, so a lot of people who have views or who have concerns about maintaining a very large tree um, can choose a tree like this, the Arbutus, which will stay fairly small in stature, but it develops a really nice canopy, so it gets dense. You can see we're standing under the shade now of the tree. it's starting to hang down. How, how high does this have to be trimmed over the public right-of-way? Well, it's supposed to be kept at an eight-foot clearance, but Six, there aren't seven. very many eight-foot-tall people, and so if it's going to damage the tree, we try to limit the pruning until the tree is big enough that um, that it won't be damaged by that. I, w I was wondering if, um, if you give advice, if someone has a particular house in a particular location, they know they need a tree, can you help them choose a good one? We absolutely can, and um, if they're planting a tree in the sidewalk, they would fill out a tree planting permit application. Um, but it is really important, we really encourage people to contact us because, as I said earlier, there are a lot of species that will not do well everywhere in San Francisco. And in some of those windy, um, foggy areas of the city, there's only a few trees that will really thrive there. So it's important um, so to make sure you get advice. So what they call your office? They can call the Bureau. They can get on the website. We have some information on the website about species. We're trying to bolster that. Um, Friends of the Urban Forest is a nonprofit group. They have a lot of good information on their website about which trees do well. But uh, we're happy to give that kind of advice because we'd much rather have a healthy urban forest than So if someone to wanted to call you, what number would they call? Uh, the best number to call actually is, uh, well, to get to the Bureau directly, 641-2676. For a permit to plant a tree, is there a charge? There is actually, and oh, go ahead. How much is right? it if there is one? Right. There's actually no fee for the permit to plant a tree. 
Um, and the reason being is that the Board of Supervisors decided they wanted to subsidize that. This is a purple leaf plum tree, and it's a popular tree in San Francisco. It has beautiful pink flowers in the springtime, so we see it all over the place. As you can see, it has dramatic purple leaves, and um, it, it's very popular, I think, because of the springtime flowers. But it's um, not a very long-lived tree, so people, I think, are very drawn to it, um, but we need to remind them that it, it's more of a short-term investment with a tree like this. Um, the other challenge that we have is that there are fruited, fruiting varieties planted in San Francisco. As you can all see, there actually is fruit on this tree. And um, the problem with that is that the, the fruit will drop and it can actually become a pedestrian hazard. Um, it's kind of hard and uh, it can get smashed into the sidewalk and become slippery, slippery and the fruits themselves can, that are rolling and so that can be a little bit dangerous for people to walk. So we generally do not encourage um, fruiting trees in the public right-of-way and there are non-fruiting varieties available so we would encourage people to choose that if they're interested in this tree. Gee, we've got all sorts of stuff happening here, and none of it good. None of it good. This, does anyone know what kind of tree this is? It's an olive. Yes, it is. And if you look, that was an olive for whoever doesn't have a mic. Uh, if you look across the street, you can see what this tree probably used to look like. Um, so unfortunately, this is an example of what I described earlier, where you top the tree, you cut the top off of it. So a lot of times when people see a tree that's really over pruned and then they see new growth, they think, oh, the tree is coming back, it's recovering. But actually, this is um, a sign of, of stress growth. So the tree is trying to get as much leaf canopy as it can um, in as short a time as possible. So it's producing these sprouts. Um, and unfortunately, these are not going to be healthy, and they're not going to be well attached to the main trunk. And what that means is if it ever gets big enough, they're going to start breaking off. And they're going to fall on cars, and they're going to fall on the sidewalk, and they're going to be a hazard. So what probably happened here, would be my guess, is that somebody prune the tree in order to allow them to see their sign or something and they consider this to be acceptable tree pruning which certainly doesn't meet anybody's standard of tree pruning That's and right. so this was actually caused by someone doing this deliberately to the tree and in San Francisco this is illegal and you can be fined for it and the fine the minimum fine is $1,489 hmm. so it's what, not... Does somebody have to file a complaint for that to happen? They don't, although many of our fines get issued because we learn about them from a complaint. So our office does not have enough staff to be inspecting every tree every year. Mm -hmm. um, and when they're privately maintained trees, we, it's even harder for us to inspect them. But if we get a call from the public or if we're driving around doing our regular work and we see it, we can issue a fine to that property owner. And that fine often will end up also going to a hearing where they'll try to appeal the decision. But um, it's... It's a real problem because, as I said, it not only does it damage the tree, but it creates these maintenance burdens down the road, and then city crews end up having to respond to that. And in some ways what this is is the removal of a tree without a tree removal permit, That's basically, right. is That's what right. the ultimate yeah, bottom line here. They well, probably... They were very they, effectively killed it. And yeah. that's the problem. And the good news is there that you have to replace it. So when people get a permit to remove a tree, there's, they're almost always required to replace it, or they have to pay the value of that tree. So people who think they can get out of their maintenance responsibility by just killing their tree or trying to illegally remove it, 
you know, if they get nailed, it's a lot worse than if they went through the proper procedures. Now, across the street, we have a row of... We have a row of olives. Olives that are in good condition. They are in good condition. And the nice thing about uh, olive trees is that now they come in non-fruiting varieties, so they can be a street tree as well. Um, and uh, they are very long-lasting trees, so um, we, they're, they're a great street tree. Um, and they have a nice dense canopy, which sometimes can be a little bit of a challenge for the property owner to maintain, um, but ultimately it gives you a lot to work with. And sometimes people are concerned because the signage above their store might be hidden by the tree canopy, and there's a big conflict with, with uh, commercial uses as That's well. That's right. So often in very commercial areas, we will try to choose trees that are more upright with their canopies. We try to work with people to find a way to plant away from their signs because it's in no one's best interest to have these trees over pruned for signage or for the, the you know the property owner have a genuine um, commercial enterprise that they that they're losing all their signage for. So, any questions before we move on? You talked about using a lot of uh, Australian um, trees. The olive is Mediterranean, like our climate. Do we have other Mediterranean trees that we like? We do have other Mediterranean trees that we like, and, and I'm still trying to get the city to send me to Italy to do a little more research. Good. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> thank you. So far, that hasn't resulted in anything. But there are some Italian trees that, that we can plant, Italian buckthorn. Um, in some cases, with the right conditions, Italian cypress can be planted. Um, so there are a variety of, of Mediterranean trees. Look at this. Oh, yeah. Just done. Yeah. Brand new. Mm. Look at this, I wonder uh, if this is, this is the same vandal maybe who did like, the other looks one. Very Vandalism. Similar. So here's a, here's a tree that hasn't been pruned to death. It has had other problems that have led to its demise. That's right. So this is uh, a tree that, again, if we can usually, if you look around, sometimes you can learn a lot of information about a tree. You can see at the base of this tree, probably, that when it was young, I'm sure, somebody backed into it when they were trying to get out of their parking place and caused pretty serious trunk wound down here. So on this side of the tree, we, we've seen a lot of wounding, and there's a lot of dead wood inside the tree. And then what's happened is now, because of that, there's not enough healthy wood, the tree's starting to split apart, which we see on the side. And, and that is essentially killing the tree. Um, it's almost dead. We've got a tiny flush of green. This is an evergreen species. It's the same species as the tree behind you, which is a privet. And uh, it, it's not going to come back. So do they need a tree removal permit to even remove a dead tree as dead as this one? That's right. Even to remove a dead tree because we still have to send an inspector out. A lot of times people will say, my tree's dead. Can I just remove it? Well, it may be deciduous. And if you're not familiar with trees, you might not realize that it's just leaf off right now. So we send out an arborist who will do an inspection of the tree, and if we confirm the tree's dead, we'll issue the removal permit. Believe it or not, unless the tree is an imminent hazard, we still go through public notification. So we'll do like a 15-day posting on a tree like this so that the public knows the tree's going to come out. And it's rare for us to get a protest on a dead tree, but it happens. We, the, my tree hearing two months ago, the tree was did not have a single leaf on it and had been that way for close to a month and we still got a protest on it so it happens <laughs> okay we're going to walk up to Marcus Street where we have a whole different kind of tree program going
Okay, so we are on Market Street, and we have a whole tree program here that involves this basically monoculture planting along here. What do we have, Carla? These are London plane trees, uh, Platinus acerifolia, that are planted all up and down Market Street. And as you get further down, you know there are probably two rows of these trees planted in sort of a Bosque style. It is a monoculture, but it also really helps set that sense of place. So as long as we don't plant them exclusively throughout the city, uh, I don't think it's so bad to have, you know, this is really one of the defining features of Market Street, these trees. Well, just like Dolores Street has palm trees and the Embarcadero has palm trees of a different sort, we have defined our major thoroughfares with particular species, and that's that's actually considered to be a good design feature, that's urban right. design feature. And it helps. It's one of the reasons why when the city does maintenance, on a street that that we have these major thoroughfares because then we can ensure that the appropriate tree species is planted and if there's a problem with that species we hope that we're you know keeping up with the literature and learning these things so that we can start to anticipate and plan for the future so how's the health of this generally this uh, whole this array looks pretty good generally so, yeah generally market street looks pretty good even on market street where we have big mature healthy trees Sometimes they get hit by cars, they get vandalized, and we do have to replace them. So every once in a while you'll see a smaller tree. Um, we are planting with the same species. So right here at the next tree, we have a smaller replacement tree. That's right, and that one has actually probably been in the ground 10 years at this point. And you'll, we have even smaller ones uh, that we put in recently. But we do try to stick with that same species palette so that we contribute to that sense of place on Market Street. What do you call the trees that are pollarded uh, over by City Hall? Those are actually the same species of tree as these trees here, and but uh, it's a good question because that's a type of pruning technique that is really only applicable to a couple of species, and one of them is the, the platinus, the London plain, sycamore trees. A lot of times people will see those trees and they think, oh, that's how you prune a tree, you cut it at the top. Well, that's not what's happening. When a tree is pollarded, it has to be done when the tree is fairly young and it's something that you establish with the tree. And then you cut back to that same place every year. You do not cut a new cut, which is essentially a wound to the tree. So sometimes people will look at those trees and when, when we issue them a fine for really damaging, severely damaging a street tree, they'll say, well, I cut it just like the ones at City Hall. So it's a very specialized pruning technique and it's really only applicable to, you know, I say only to sycamores, to flatness. What we're seeing here is the Bureau of Urban Forestry working to replace the entire sidewalk as well as the tree basins. That's right. So uh, the Bureau of Urban Forestry, we have our own cement shop. And the reason that we do is because we have to maintain the sidewalks around trees. So uh, this is our cement shop working. They're replacing the sidewalk. And they're going to also make sure that they frame out a new tree basin for these trees so that we have a nice path of travel. And they should be told they need a muffler or a shroud on their jackhammer. By uh, Article 29 of the Police Code, all jackhammers have to have mufflers on them in San Francisco. Okay. So I, I, they all do. Nobody knows it, but it's in there. Well, let, well, let everybody know. Good. Excellent. Excellent. This is great. Okay. So how long does it take to do a job like this? Just like a couple well, days? Really? I mean, there was a lot of prep work with the uh, lane closure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we had a bobcat. Uh huh. Okay. So that always. Uh, so you're gonna you clean it out and you grade the thing out. You, uh, See, they're already framing up there for the pour. Framing for the pour, and when do you think to pour this? What day? Uh, from what I heard, Monday. Monday, great. That's pretty quick work for such a big job here.
Yeah. Absolutely. Like thing, I said, with the bobcat, things do go yeah, faster. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one thing we should make a note of is it's really important when we take the whole sidewalk like this, we have to make sure that pedestrians have a safe place to go. So part of what takes time on a job like this is that we actually have to set up a whole new pedestrian walkway so that they're safe and not in the, the work area. So, Carla, yes. isn't this an amazing tree? This is a beautiful tree. It's a eucalyptus. What kind of eucalyptus? This is a eucalyptus citriodora. Citriodora? Yes. Does that mean it smells like citron? They do. It's supposedly lemon-scented eucalyptus. Okay. And it is just beautiful. It's beautiful. It has a really nice big trunk, but it also has this incredibly smooth and really creamy bark. A lot of eucalyptus trees, you'll see that the bark sort of flakes off a lot. And this, it's, it, it flakes to the point that it's almost completely smooth. And uh, you actually get some really nice color variations in the bark. It's really beautiful. And there are five more right in the uh, center island, right around the corner from here. In fact, we can see them right over by the freeway. That's there. right. Those things must be, you know, 80, 80 plus feet tall. Well, maybe they more, are definitely 90. taller than the yeah. buildings across the way. Yeah. So they are very good sized trees. And luckily in that medium, they have enough room to grow because the trunk, as you can see on this one, that trunk does get pretty substantial, and uh, so we don't see these a lot in the sidewalk area. And this is really not its full size. These things get a lot bigger oh, than yes. this in oh, yes. another 30 years. This, much, this will much be bigger. massive. That's right. That's gorgeous. Yeah. But we don't recommend this for people to put in their uh, sidewalk in front of their house. Unless they live with a very, very wide sidewalk and they're able to do kind of an oversized basin or maybe some sidewalk landscaping, we might consider it. Okay, great. Let's talk about talk about this. So these are all over San Francisco. They are. And these are uh, from New Zealand, yes. I believe? Yep. The common name for this tree is actually the bottle brush. And as you can see, looking at this flower, it looks quite a lot like a bottle brush. Um, this one is, variety is the Callistamon citrinus. Uh, there's another species of the same genus. Uh, that's a Callistamon viminalis. Um, do you smell any lemon? A little bit. It's supposed you to be the lemon-scented bottle brush. and but rub it and maybe smell a little bit of lemon. That's what they say. Yeah. Anytime you see that uh, citrinus or citriodora, those are all indications that there's some citrus or lemon scent to the tree. <laughs> Unfortunately, bottle brush is not a hugely popular tree in San Francisco because these little flowers will fall and they will get into your car and they will blow through your vents and uh, I've heard complaints that they get very sappy and they stick on cars. I haven't you know, seen too much of that. I, I love think it's these a things. nice tree. It yeah. does well. It doesn't get too huge. Um, it's a it's a good hardy street tree. I So I, I like them, but they're, we get a lot of complaints about them, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And they're a little bit similar to something, the leptospermum. Uh, I think they're from the same area, mm -hmm. which is the, when Captain Cook sailed around the world and he had scurvy problems on his long voyages in the Pacific Ocean, he would take the leaves from some of these New Zealand plants, leptospermum in particular, and make tea okay. to cure scurvy of the sailors. Huh. I don't know if they use colistamine, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. There also, uh, there's another tree that's also New Zealand native called the Metrosideris excelsus. Ah, yes that it also has red flowers. It's also called the New Zealand Christmas tree. And that is a tree that will survive in some of our worst conditions, our windiest, foggiest, saltiest conditions. Um, unfortunately, it also does have pretty aggressive roots. So you want to plant it with care, um, but it, it can be a big, beautiful tree in really And if you want to see the big, 
the biggest, most beautiful Metrocitrus excelsus that I know of. It's in the Arboretum at Golden Gate Park. Oh, yeah. If you go in the side entrance, um, right near the side entrance where the little pond is, there's a huge one. It must be 80 feet tall with aerial roots coming down oh, all over. Gosh. It's absolutely gorgeous. They really huge. Get, they get enormous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they can. Metrocitrus excelsus. It's a, it's a great tree for some of our terrible microclimates. <laughs> so, one last thing maybe I'll comment sure, on is just course. in this tree basin, um, the, what they're doing is they're creating, a, they're trying to reduce the tripping hazard. And so they've put these little pavers around the edge of the tree. And it's actually a very good alternative to a tree guard. What happens with the tree guards, and it's something that we're working on right now on Market Street, is very often the tree, if it doesn't grow perfectly out of the center of the guard, it'll start to lean into the guard, which girdles the trunk. Or if it gets too big before you notice that the guard is starting to get really close to that trunk, it'll start to grow into that. And so we prefer not to use tree guards, except in special areas if there's either a special design consideration or a historic planting. Or, you know, Market Street, we have such high pedestrian So use. when you say tree guard, you mean like the metal tree grates? The metal grates that go around okay. the base of mm -hmm. the tree, yeah. I see tree so grade. many trees girdled as they get bigger and bigger, and That's they get right. girdled by the metal grate uh, tree guard. That's right. And yeah. what you need to it's do is you have to cut out the metal. The metal. And so it can be time-consuming or expensive. Now they're starting to make breakaway grates where right. it's a little bit easier. They're cast um, iron. Yep. So if you take a hammer, you can actually break around all the way around it. But I have unfortunately seen, I honestly have seen all people around here with chisels chiseling the ch tree yeah. around the tree grade or yeah. the tree guard, which of course kills the tree. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh well. But if, if people are worried or if they want to do something a little decorative, using a paver that's that's permeable, so it's going to allow that water to get into the roots of the tree um, and can be removed easily as the tree grows, then you know that's a nice thing that you can do. Permeable paving is something that the city is encouraging, not just around trees but elsewhere, and there's a whole group here working on permeable paving issues so that we do more groundwater recharge um, and have fewer storm problems with putting stormwater, you know, uh, higher volume of stormwater. And uh, another one of the forms I brought today is the sidewalk landscaping permit. This is a new permit you can get through our department where you can actually, if you have a wide enough sidewalk and the right conditions, you can take up some of the concrete and do planting, do gardening there. Unfortunately, we can't do it everywhere um, because some sidewalks, there's so many pedestrians and it's too narrow that it might not make sense to plant. So sidewalks that are less than seven feet wide, they're just not appropriate for sidewalk landscaping. But in many cases, you can do something. And sometimes you can do it where you can't put a tree. If you've got infrastructure that won't allow you to plant a tree because you've got a street light or you've got a water box and it's too close to the tree, you can do sidewalk landscaping instead and get, at least get some permeable pavement and get some, some a little gardening. So that's available too. Great. Well, I want to thank you for coming and uh, thank Carla Short from Bureau of Urban Forestry for joining us. This is really great. Learned a lot. We saw a lot of trees. Good. And uh, if they have questions, they can call the Bureau of Orphan Forestry. That's right. You can call the Bureau. You can also call 311. 311 can direct you to our website where you can download all of these forms. And you can also just, if you go to the city website and you look for DPW, there's a little street tree that you click on. And we try to have good information up there so it can help you at the outset. Um, and then when you're ready to move, you give us a call and we'll work with you. Thank you all. all right. See you next Thank month. Thanks a lot. Thank you.